everybody. Welcome to the very first episode of the Wisdom for Wealth podcast. I'm Lelo, and I'm just so glad to be starting this journey and adding my voice to the financial education space. I hope that you guys are doing well. I hope that your week is going great um, and that you're ready for a jam-packed season of great information. You know, my hope for you is this that you don't just consume information, but that you actually implement some of what you learn. It's important to realize that information alone is not enough. You know, implementation is the only thing that leads to transformation. So listen in, take notes, explore the topics further for yourself, take action so that you can actually level up your finances and build wealth. Here's a quick disclaimer. The information on this podcast does not constitute as financial advice. Everything that is shared is purely for educational purposes. So I still recommend that you get yourself a financial advisor. So let's get started. I thought that it would only be fitting that I actually start this season off by telling you a little bit more about myself telling you more about my story. So who am I? I'm from Johannesburg, South Africa. I'm a mom to a seven-year-old boy. By profession, I'm trained as an economist and an actuarial professional. I work in financial services, insurance to be precise, and I'm also the founder of Wisdom for Wealth, which is actually a financial knowledge hub. So this podcast is actually the brainchild of Wisdom for Wealth. Why does this even matter to me? Why, why did I bother? Why did I start this? And I'm sorry to burst your bubble. I don't have some impressive story about saving my first million in the first few years of my career. Neither do I come from a rich family that had set me up for life, but I did come from an ordinary home with great parents that did the best they could with what they had. Some seasons were good. Some were not so easy. But if there's anyone that has experienced different lifestyles, it's me. I know what it feels like to live in a decent-sized home with a close-knit family, but I also know what it feels like to live in a more wealthy home with everything at your disposal. I also know what it feels like to live in a small one-room house with a leaking roof. I've seen it all. I grew up in the township, seeing people work every single day and work incredibly hard. And almost always I would hear them say, I don't have money. I didn't understand this. I really didn't get it. I saw people make progress financially and then later just regress and move backwards. I also didn't get this. This bothered me a lot. It's something that has stayed playing in the back of my mind, even as I started my first job. I just never wanted to be the adult that worked all my life and had nothing to show for it. So every move I made financially, I wanted to make sure that this never becomes my reality. But you know what? As I graduated from university and I started my first job, I was about to find out some of the answers to the questions that had bothered me since childhood. And no, I didn't learn by observing and doing the opposite. (laughs) Quite frankly, I made my own mistakes and with a paycheck larger than those that I watched when I was a kid, I was now the adult saying, I don't have money. 
And I was eagerly waiting for the next paycheck only a week after payday. The only thing I'm grateful for is this. It wasn't too late to make a U-turn. To some degree, when I was a kid having all these questions, I was naive. So I assumed working meant that you were rich, but I was wrong. Having an income just means that you have the potential to build wealth. That's all it is, potential. What you do with your income is what actually determines if you build wealth or not. So here's one thing I know. Regardless of the size of your income, you can still be broke. If you can't manage a thousand rand, chances are you're not going to be able to manage a million rand. So what was the answer to my childhood questions about working hard and have nothing to show for it? I can't say for sure that I know every reason because sometimes things happen that are beyond our control. But I will tell you that the majority of the time, it was a lack of knowledge and wisdom. You know, the truth is that we go to school and get prepared for life, but we actually are never prepared to handle money. If all you grew up hearing is that a week before payday, there's a week called Mampara week where you're struggling to make ends meet and you constantly have to borrow to keep going until the end of the month, then the chances are is that you're going to replicate what you grew up seeing. But don't despair. That's why wisdom for wealth exists. I don't know everything, but I do know lots of people that when we come together and share our collective wisdom, then we will be able to make a difference in the lives of many people. Nonetheless, I think I must confess, <laughs> I am not yet a millionaire, but I am a woman who has the ball rolling. When I realized that I was going the wrong way, I had the courage to click reset. I have now managed to build up my savings, some investments, and in the next few months, we'll have a fully paid off vehicle. So yay to that, more money to build wealth. So I'm not here to paint a picture of perfection or a person who has arrived, because that's not true. But I'm here to invite you to go with me on this journey. If you need the courage to reset and gain wisdom for wealth creation, then welcome to the club. Join the community. I'm committed to sharing my journey with you, my insights, what has worked for me, and what is currently working. So you must be asking yourself, Lelo, tell us, what are these financial mistakes you say you've made? So the first financial mistake I made, guys, is that I had poor financial boundaries. I was that young girl that ended up taking on other people's responsibilities that, in hindsight, were actually none of my business. So I had no boundaries. Saying the word no was so difficult for me. I was this overgiving people pleaser that number one, had no emergency fund. I had no savings. I was so bad, I would even give on credit. But I was still this person who was just giving. And so I couldn't distinguish between other people's problems and my problems. And, and that's an emotional issue. Right. And I started to realize that when I started to work on my own emotions and my own emotional health, my money got better. I started having better boundaries. I started saying the word no, but it was such a, a painful experience, you know, and, and recognizing and realizing that when rich people say they don't have money, they don't mean they don't have money at all. It just means that they've reached what they may call their broke number. 
and when I say broke number, I actually mean the amount of money that when you reach that point, you start acting like you're broke. So broke shouldn't actually mean that you have zero, zero in your account. Broke should actually mean that I don't have money for you or I don't have money for what you're asking me for. And so I became broke because I couldn't say no to people. I was afraid to disappoint people that I loved, people that I cared about. But meanwhile, I was actually saying no to my own dreams. And I think that's, that's one thing I take as a learning when it comes to boundaries is that every no, so every yes costs you something. When you say yes to something, you are automatically saying no to something else. So when I kept saying yes to other people's wishes and desires and needs that was affecting my finances, I was actually saying no to my own financial future. I was saying no to traveling. I was saying no to living the life of my dreams, all because I couldn't say no to other people. And so people will often celebrate you for overextending yourself. You know, as long as they are benefiting, as long as it looks, it looks admirable on the surface, but in actuality, it's actually very dysfunctional. I had to make a U-turn there because I practically was putting my life and my son's life in danger because of other people's needs and because of other people's wants. And so here's one of the lessons that I take out from a lack of boundaries is that there is a big difference between being generous and being reckless. I wasn't generous. I was reckless. And it's such a fine line because people will often celebrate you for it, but I had to take control of my life and it started with me setting better financial boundaries. Number two, I lacked clarity. My goals were not clear. My goals when it comes to my finances were very vague, very unclear. I don't even think I had proper goals in place anyway. And I think a lack of clear goals is a big problem. I think it ties in with the boundaries that I've just mentioned just now, because if you know what you want, then you'll also be more protective of your finances because you've got plans. So I encourage you to make plans. I think I had all the right decisions, but I wasn't very clear on my goals. And what that resulted in is that I would get like lump sums from stuff. Like I, I remember I had a scholarship in university, a fully paid scholarship, but because I was doing so well, my university also gave me an award, which was monetary. And I took that amount and I actually got in contact with a broker and I opened an investment account and I put that money in investments. And because I wasn't clear on my goals, I ended up withdrawing that money. And I think that's the danger with a lack of clear goals is that your discipline is not going to be long-term. You're going to commit because something is right. But as soon as something else that comes up that feels more urgent or feels more serious, you're going to withdraw. Um, and so I had to sit down with myself and ask myself, what are your goals? You know, where do you want to be next year, this time financially, where do you want to be in, in the next three to five years? Where do you want to be in 10 years time, Lila? What do you want to be able to afford? And I think I would encourage everybody to, to sit down and think through th their financial goals, because I think your goals determine the options you have to get there. So it's sort of like deciding on a holiday destination. If I decide that I'm going to Mahalisburg, then I know that I'm going to use my car to get there. But if I decide that I'm going to Australia, then I have to use a plane. So once you have your goal, then you'll begin to get clearer about the options you have to have or the options you have to arrive at the destination. So if you're looking at growing your income and you want to be at a certain place by next year or three years from now or whatever, 
then you need to ask yourself things like, do I need a side hustle? You know, what skills do I need to grow my income and to attain my goal? Um, you know, you can ask yourself things like, what do I need to do now to, to, to put myself in line for a promotion at work, that kind of stuff. But that all comes from being clear about what your goals are financially. Mistake number three was this desperate decisions. And I'm referring to my car purchase here. I was, I bought my car in a desperate position. And I think des making a decision when you're desperate is probably never, ever a good idea. I remember being so fed up with public transport that I decided that I was going to quickly get my car license and then I was going to buy my car. I got my license and within a matter of weeks, I had my first car. I was very clear that I didn't need the most expensive car. But if you're a young woman like I was when I was buying this car, then make sure that you don't go to the dealership by yourself. Don't, especially if you're a first time buyer, don't go by yourself to the dealership because dealers, dealers know, dealers know their profiles. They know, okay, cool. This person, I can do this and I can do that. Dealers have a way of, and I have to say this <laughs> respectfully, I'm sorry if anybody's a car dealer listening to this. Dealers can be crooks. I'm sorry. <laughs> I have to say it that way, but don't go alone. Go with an uncle, go with an aunt, go with somebody who's savvy when it comes to that. So that was a part of the mistake that I made. I didn't buy the most expensive car. I bought a decent starting, you know, starter car, like just something to get me started. So I could travel to work, get back, pick up my son from school, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it wasn't luxurious in any way. But the biggest mistake I made is that I let the dealer do everything for me. Like, I was lazy with that. I, I let him do absolutely everything for me. And as a result, my interest rate was so high for the first year. They built things into my contract, my loan contract with the bank that I should have shopped for myself. And so there's things that I could have gotten at a better price that I didn't because I allowed the dealer to do everything for me. So I'd like to encourage you to read the fine print. If you're in the market to buy a car, it's so important that you read the fine print, you know, Dealers have this way of building in add-ons into your loan contract. So instead of buying your car for a certain amount, the value of the loan that you end up taking out is way larger than what the car actually costs. And, and they'll build in things like extended warranties. Um, they'll, they'll go and find a car insurance provider for you. They'll go find a car, you know, they'll, they'll give you a service plan and all of that. And because the process of buying a car is already a lot and there's just so much that goes on, you can get so blindsided by that, that you just end up signing these things that you don't need. So I think it's important to, to, to say to the brokers or like to the car dealers, just, just give me a quote and I'll opt in when I'm ready, you know, because you can go get yourself a quote for some of those add-ons. You don't necessarily need to take it from them because you don't want to end up paying the bank for something that you don't even need. That for me was a big mistake. I, I, I made a big mistake. My interest rate was so high. I'm, I'm, I'm even embarrassed to tell you what it was. But I only realized this when I sat down with my financial advisor who said to me, for a person who is so young with a clean credit record and you have barely any debt, this interest rate does not make sense. And so she gave me advice to go chat to my bank, which was not financing my car, because the dealer said, no, your bank declined. And I'm like, oh, my bank can't decline. 
you know, like it makes no sense. But it, now in hindsight, I'm like, I think car dealers know which banks they work with and who they prefer to work with because they've got a deal amongst themselves. My advisor said to me, just go to your bank, shift your car loan to them and see if you can get a better interest rate. And I did. I did that. And that advice alone saved me thousands. It saved me so much. Like my interest rate went down by more than half. I probably have been the person with the lowest interest rate I've ever met. Like I've never met anybody who told me they had my interest rate in my car, (laughs) like, because it's so low, but that was a very painful lesson. But if there's anything I can tell you is shop around, don't be desperate. Don't make desperate decisions when it comes to car purchases, when it comes to house purchases, don't make desperate decisions and be willing to wait for what you want and also be willing to walk away if the deal doesn't suit you. You do have options. And that's the dangerous thing about desperation is that it blinds you from the fact that you've got options. You don't see options when you're desperate. You just see what you want. So that was mistake number three. Mistake number four, and the last one that I'm sharing is that I believed the bank. What am I talking about? I'm talking about my house purchase. Here's the thing that you need to know about debt. Debt is essentially committing your salary before you've earned it. You're committing to a bank or to a creditor to say, I'm going to be able to pay you such and such amount based on my earnings for the next few years. And that's a very scary thought because I'm already saying, okay, cool. I'm going to be working to pay off this loan for the next however many years. And so when I say the biggest, one of the mistakes I made was to believe the bank is that when you buy a property, the bank will tell you how much they think you can afford. And in most cases, I don't think in my case, I don't think they were right. And, and I believed them, you know, I, I was more excited by the fact that they said I could afford this. And that's, that's, that's where the mistake came in. So I got this amazing, stunning apartment, beautiful, quite big for me and my son. And I think maybe that's where the problem is, is that for a young woman living with just her son, it was way too much space and it was actually way too expensive because there's so much more to consider about a property than your bond right? There's maintenance, there's levies. If you're living in an estate, there's just so many other things. You need to furnish this thing. You know, you need to pay utilities, rates and taxes. It's just so much that you need to consider that on the front end, if you're not prepared, you can find yourself in a very big mess. So thankfully for me, I think in monetary terms, I could afford this property. My biggest problem with this property was that I, I didn't have enough margin. Like I didn't have the kind of margin I wanted to have. And I think when you make a big purchase, like buying a home, it's very important to ask yourself after I've paid for absolutely everything in my budget, how much money do I want to have left over as margin? Like money I didn't plan for in terms of my emergency. Like after I've finished saving and investing and paying off any debt, how much money do I want to have left over? And I was in a place where I felt like my margin was not big enough. And so thankfully the property I had gotten was a beautiful property. It was central. It had great features, great facilities, and I was able to rent it out and it practically pays for itself. So I literally don't have to pay a thing on it. Like I don't have to pay the bond on it. I mean, I don't call that a mistake as such because I know property is an investment, but one thing I had to realize that a property is only an investment if you don't live in it. The house you live in is not an investment. And so what I ended up doing, like I said, rented out, and then I got a smaller property, which was more fitting for me and my son. And I absolutely loved it. And 
The biggest reason I did that was because I wanted to make sure that my financial foundation was strong enough. And I wanted to make sure that I still have enough room to save and invest and to grow my income in such a way that I'm not in a tight place. I, I don't have 10 years to wait to pay off my home and then start living my life because a life without margin is a life without peace. That was a, a learning for me. And I think that, you know, a lot of people can probably relate to that because you don't want to buy a property and be house poor. I mean, I was worse because I, I refused to take on any debt in terms of my furnishing. So I bought everything cash, but that means I had to make lots of sacrifices in that year. But now that I'm here, I'm like, wow, I actually, I, I don't regret getting something smaller because now my margin to save and invest is so much bigger and I'm able to forward my goals a bit faster. So I think there's a lot to consider when you buy a property. And I think it's just important to, to never be afraid to change, never be afraid to click the reset button, which I wasn't. For me, it was an easy decision. I was like, okay, cool. Let's get something smaller. We don't need all the space. It's just me and you. Let's go for something smaller so we can build our financial lives in a way that we can enjoy the life that we live. I think there's too many people out there who are living a life they endure and not a life they enjoy. I want to enjoy my life. And, and so I had to be willing to make some sacrifices temporarily so that I can build the life that I enjoy. So to sum it all up, I now have a better understanding of why people can work all their lives and have nothing to show for it. Because it's all about how we manage the income we do have. That's not to say that that's the only reason, but at least a very common and popular reason. But it's also a reason that people can work around if they're willing. I wasn't doing things wisely, but one thing I had the courage to do was to reset and make the adjustments that were required to get better. I learned to set better boundaries. I started to say no more often, and I even turned down invites to go out because I really wanted to get better financially. I had to be okay with people calling me stingy because I also recognized that the very people I sacrificed my financial future for wouldn't be able to back me up when I needed it. I asked myself, what are your goals? Where do you want to be in the next year? Where do you want to be in the next three years? 10 years time? How do you want your life to feel? How much margin do you want? I began saving religiously and automatically. I now live by the motto, give to God, pay yourself, and then live on the rest. I began educating myself about personal finance. I started investing in myself and my own growth. I bought coaching programs and courses because I know that the better I become, then the better my income. I invest in my personal development and even in my skills. And I constantly am asking myself, how do I make myself more valuable to other people so that they can pay me more? So as I close up, I want you to go and look at your own life and finances. Where do you need the courage to reset? I encourage you to forgive yourself for what you didn't get right and then click the reset button. You can start small. It doesn't have to be a major shift. Start with committing a certain portion of your income to savings or investments, or just repaying debt every month. Just start. For the rest of the season, I'm going to bring you conversations with people who can help you understand different aspects of finances. 
If there is a particular financial topic you are keen to hear about or a financial pain point you would like to ask me to cover, you can reach me on my email, which is ask at www.academy.co.za. Go ahead and follow me on Instagram at wisdomforwealth underscore. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already, so you can get a weekly notification when a new episode is up. Leave us a review. I would love to hear your feedback. I hope you enjoyed this episode and you can take some learnings from it. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.